All right, we're ready to move to the ninth chapter of the book of Joshua, chapter 9. And uh, as I read this thing and studied it in chapter 9, I really kind of thought, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot here in this chapter. And uh, the more I kind of looked at it and studied it and prayed about it, uh, it got deeper and deeper and better and better. Uh, so uh, it will spend, it's still a little ringing down here, Josh. Do y'all hear a little ringing or is it just my ears? Okay, there you go. Hey, thank you. Uh, it's so hard to get sound uh, in this building control right. If it's a Sunday morning crowd, it's a total different setup than if it's a Wednesday night crowd. Uh, but anyway, we're going to get through it. I appreciate Josh taking care of, of all that. <clears throat> in the ninth chapter, uh, I, as you look at that ninth chapter, I want us to think about tonight maybe a little too close for comfort. I, I, I'm not much on science. Science, science and math were my two worst subjects. Uh, uh, well, I don't know. I guess, I guess literature would be one of them too. I took it three times and finally made a D in it. But uh, uh, science and, and math were two of my worst subjects uh, that uh, I just did not like at all. But I, I read about these certain kind of ants that have a... Uh, passion for this substance that's given off by uh, a caterpillar, a species of a large butterfly. And the ants love it. They, they become addicted to, the, uh, uh, to, the, to that uh, uh, substance given off by them. And they seek out that caterpillar, that butterfly, and then they carry him to their nest. And they're just I mean, it's kind of like for me eating banana pudding or chicken and dumplings and you just sit there and you eat and you eat and you eat and you eat and they do that. But what they do, they don't realize it, but they bring home an enemy in disguise because the caterpillar gorges himself exclusively on one food item and that's ant larva. And so usually uh, 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 when, when, when that came into the ant colony, they would immediately reject it. But they love the nectar of this butterfly so much that they put up with all that until it was too late to realize that their young were being devoured in the process. Too close, too close for comfort. And these fire ants or, or foolish ants here, I begin to see the, the similarity between Joshua and these ants. They've had decisive victories now at Jericho. And they got beat at Ai, and then they went back, restructured, got everything right, went back to Ai, had a tremendous victory there. And then, of course, they've had a special time of worship and recommitment at Mount Ebal and Mount uh, Gerizim there. And, and now they're preparing to march deeper into Canaan to get the land uh, that, and, and that's, that the Lord has prepared for. Remember, he told them back in Joshua 1.1, wherever your feet touches, that's going to be your land. So it's all, it's all their land there. And uh, they've got these impressive victories under their belts. And uh, it, I think maybe God just needs them to learn a lesson here. Uh, and we can see our lives in this pretty good too. There are three uh, cities that they basically have dealt with or will deal with as of today. Jericho, that was a type of, of the world. Uh, and it was defeated and we have the promise that God's going to defeat the world that we live in too. 
We, we can walk in victory. 1 John 5, 4, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So we've got the victory. We know that our faith, we're going to overcome this world. And then AI is a type of flesh. And it too was defeated. We've got the promise of the victory of the flesh. Romans 7, 24 says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. But we've overcome uh, sin. And then Gibeon, as we'll see tonight, is a type of devil. And it's a battle that is still being fought even today. We've got the promise of victory in this uh, land. I want to tell you, when the Holy Spirit indwells you, the devil cannot get in there. That's probably the number one question I get asked. Can the devil uh, uh, reside in a Christian? If the Christian is, if he's a saved Christian and he's got the Holy Spirit inside of him, the devil cannot reside inside you. Now, he may torment you, he may mock you, he may do all kinds of things. He may think you, make you think he's living inside of you. But I promise you, the devil and the Holy Spirit cannot reside in the same temple. That's not going to happen. So, we, to obtain this victory, we've got to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've got to walk in his will every day. See, a lot of people think, well, I just got saved. Now it's all over with. No, it just started. It just started. Uh, you, you've got to make a conscious decision every day. Uh, and I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, we, we live in a world that they claim they don't want to fight. But I'll tell you, we fight on everything in the world. Uh, you know, husbands and wives fight. Children and families fight. Uh, we fight wars. We're fighting all the time. And the bottom line is just this. I, I can stand here tonight and tell you, well, you know, we're just going to be one happy family and we're just going to love the Lord and sing Kumbaya and have marshmallows and everything over the fire and everything's going to be great. But the truth is, we're in a war. And the war's not going to stop until Jesus comes again and defeats Satan. We're in that war. You say, well, I don't like to fight. Well, you know where I come from? If you didn't show up for the game, you lost the game. If you don't show up for the battle, you're going to lose the war. If you're a child of God, you don't have an option whether you're going to fight or not. You better put on the armor of God and you better suit up every day and you better be ready to fight. I love, I was reading this and actually this is in the sermon Sunday morning, but it's so good I need to share it tonight too. <laughs> Vance Habner, I love reading Vance Habner. And Vance Hatner is talking about discernment. He says, I mean, this was 40 years ago. He said one of the greatest needs we have in the church today is for people to get Holy Spirit-led discernment. Discernment. And I'm thinking, okay, discernment. I know that. That's whether to do right or know to do wrong. And then Vance Hatner said, that's not discernment. Discernment is not whether to do right or do wrong. Dis anybody knows that. My soul, you ought to be able to look at the Bible and tell that. He says discernment is being able to tell the difference between what is right and what is almost right. Because I want to tell you something. In the, in the day that we're living in today, there are wolves in sheep's clothing that slip into the church. If you think the devil's not in this place tonight, you're wrong.
Uh, he, and if you think he's going to show up here with a pitchfork and a red suit, you're wrong again. He's not going to do that. And so as you look at, at verse 9, the, the, you, you see several things here. The first thing you see is that the devil is deceptive. Amen? That dude is deceptive. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9, it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan in the hills and in the valleys and all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard thereof, that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. So what he's saying here is they know God's coming. They've heard about the victory at Jericho. They've heard about what happened at Ai. They know God is coming. Uh, isn't it amazing how the devil's crowd will join together to, to try to defeat the kingdom of God? I mean, the two most hated people in the entire, the Sadducees, Pharisees, and Pilate, and all that bunch, they hated each other. And yet the Bible says they came together to crucify Jesus. And this wickedness, these people were coming together to try to defeat uh, 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 the, uh, uh, the nation Israel here. Now, the devil uses deceptive methods. When the Gibeonites heard that the Israelites were headed in their direction, they come up with a scheme. The devil always has a scheme. He, he is master of the schemes. They decided, he, they told everybody, you go back to your house. Remember the garage sale y'all had last weekend? The clothes that didn't sell, dragged them out and put them on. All them old ragged clothes. And get some wine skins, throw all your new ones away, get the old ones that have been patched and everything, get them shoes that's got them holes in it by your big toe and everything, and to put them on, and here they come. And they tell uh, Joshua, we've come from afar. Uh, and uh, we, we fight a, an enemy that uses schemes. Uh, the, the King James calls it a wiles. That's schemes or deceit, trickery, uh, cunningness. Uh, Satan would love to do nothing more than trip you up. I think he probably knows if you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb uh, that he probably can't touch your salvation, but I want to tell you, he can rob your joy, he can rob your song, he can trick you up, and he can lay you flat on the ground. He can do it. And he's had experience doing it. And he wants to do the same thing with us. He uses snares to catch his prey. That's a, that word refers to a trap set by a hunter. Uh, uh, just, so Satan uses deceptive, uh, deceptiveness. And then he uses uh, deceptive wares. Uh, it, 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 every step, they're trying to convince Israel that they were far a uh, faraway country. Carried the old sacks on the donkeys and broken, bound up wineskins, a patched shoes, shabby clothing. Even they had some old moldy bread and they, they had it with them. The entire thing was to trick Israel, try to deceive Israel. And uh, I, I just tell you again, I warn you, when the devil comes against you, he's not going to come against you with a pitchfork and a red suit. Poking you, say, ouch, you know, that must be the devil. 
No, he's going to slip in. He's going to do everything he can to disguise himself and to make you think that he's one of you. Then he uses deceptive words. Uh, verse uh, uh, 6, look there, he said, And they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a, a league with us or sign a treaty with us. Then down verse 9, they sent unto him from a very far country. Thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. We've heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. And uh, then verse 11 and 12, Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey. Go to meet them. Say unto them, We're your servants. Therefore now make you a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth. But now behold, it's dry and it's moldy. So he's using all of these deceptive words. Uh, <clears throat> now, Here's the thing that, that uh, they were very careful in what they said. They did not mention any of the events that had taken place since Israel crossed the Jordan River. Nothing they didn't mention. They gave the impression that they had indeed traveled for days and days and days. And in reality, uh, they were probably somewhere within 15 to 25 miles maximum. Uh, in fact, when we'll see later on, when Joshua went to go get them, uh, he did it in one night. He traveled there in one night. Uh, and that's the way the devil would do. That's a picture of the devil and how he operates. You know why he still uses the same things he's used all these years? Because they work. They work. So he still uses the same thing. The devil will give you every reason in the world to justify the things he wants you to justify. You better hear that again. He'll give you every reason in the world to justify the things that you want to justify. He taught Eve that she ought to question the word of God. He taught Eve that God didn't really mean what he said. He taught Eve that God was keeping his best blessing for himself, that he was holding out on her. And she ended up justifying every bit of it. And he'll do the same thing for you. The things that you don't want to do. I, you know, I, I was just thinking in my mind, I wonder what he told uh, Cain to get him to kill Abel. I wonder what he told David to get him to have uh, an affair with Bathsheba. I wonder what the devil told Judas to get him to betray the Lord. <laughs> and then I wonder sometimes, do you ever have any problem discerning whether it's a devil trying to get you to do something or whether it's God trying to get you to do something? I mean, you just think, man, you know, which, which one is it? Uh, 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us what the devil's up to. He wants us. He wants our family. He wants our marriage. He wants your children. He wants your testimony. He wants your church. And if you have it and you got it from the Lord, he wants it. I don't care what it is. And folks, in these last days, we're going to have to learn to stand and fight for our families. We're going to have to learn to stand and fight for our churches. I hear people after people coming. I, I had a guy in McCoy's today. He bought the, the screws we were putting in cabinets. He bought all the screws and everything. He said, I've been to your church. Man, I hadn't been to a church where I felt the Spirit of God in Longview in years. And he said, I've been back over there four or five times. I, I, didn't, I didn't recognize him. And he said, yeah, you probably do. He said, one sermon you preached uh, 
on a tuba solo and you said the reason there wasn't no tuba solos is because your son can't play the tuba. That was several months ago. And he walked out. And then I remembered it. He walked out and he said, man, I play the tuba. And I said, I'm sorry, man. You can come do a solo anytime you want to. Uh, but you know, in these last days, there are those who are seeking a church where the presence of the Holy Spirit is. But there are also those who are seeking a church with excitement and they want to come in and make this church just as dead as the church they left. Now you better listen to me. And we better learn the fact between not just right and wrong, but when someone's trying to go against uh, the, the, the unity of this church, when they're fighting the pastor, when they're fighting the staff, I want to tell you that's not from God. Well, our enemy is deceptive. Our enemy is destructive. Verses 14 through 21, their ability to see clearly was destroyed. Uh, Joshua, he was a little skeptical about it at the beginning, but he didn't go far enough. Uh, these ambassadors that had come, he questioned about their origin again, and, and he's committed for that, but he, he gave up too soon. Uh, the Lord has done two things for us, if He's done anything for us. Number one, He's given us a perfect book. Right here. This is the perfect book. Number two, He's given us a powerful spirit. If we don't use the perfect book and the powerful spirit to fight off Satan, we're going to be defeated. It's not what we think. doesn't make any difference what you think. Doesn't make any difference what you conjure up in your mind. What matters is the Word of God says it and the power of God proves it. That's the two things here. So if, if, if these two gifts are given to us, that it's supposed to be for a distinct advantage so that we can use it to discern what's coming against us. Uh, Peter says we can be sober and vigilant. It carries the idea of us being in control of ourselves and being watchful. Listen, you don't have to fall for everything the devil sends your way. So you, you can stand on the Word of God. And, and we don't know everything the devil's going to send our way. That's not where, what we're supposed to be learning. People are always saying, why don't we teach more on cults? Why don't we teach more on this? Well, if you'll learn Jesus and the ways of Jesus... You may not know the name of the cult, but you're going to know it ain't right. I mean, when you, when you focus on Jesus and you begin to learn the, the, the uh, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and someone comes in and your spirit doesn't bear spirit with their spirit there, you can know I, I, something not right here. Something not right here. And so their ability. You see, when your spiritual vision gets dim. You say, well, how does my spiritual vision get dim? When you're not reading the Word of God, your spiritual vision gets dim. And when your spiritual gets dim, you are very susceptible to the tricks and to the traps of the enemy. And it's impossible for us to have victory over him when we neglect the two major things he told us. The Word of God and the power of God. Then they sought counsel that their ability to do that, it's gone. Uh, nowhere in this scripture do they ever seek the Lord. 
Nowhere in this scripture. They don't seek the Lord. You, to break bread with someone in the Old Testament, that was a big thing. I mean, when you sat down and you broke bread with someone, it was considered to be, you know, that's just an unalterable friendship. But what they considered to be the right thing to do turned into a problem because they didn't take it to the Lord first. And as a result, they stepped out of the will of God and they had to suffer the consequences. I wonder, I don't want to admit how many times it's been true in my life, but I want to tell you it's been true. When, when we stepped out of the will of God and then we had to suffer the consequences and uh, we look at what the devil has to offer us and we end up joining up with him before you know it, uh, he takes us a whole lot further than what we ever dreamed we wanted to go to start with. <clears throat> God's will for us is to seek his face. Exodus 14, 13, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You get the idea that God is saying, now listen to me, God's not saying wait to put off what God wants you to do. God's saying, wait to make sure you know what God wants you to do. And after you've got a word from God, nothing ought to keep you from doing what God said do. And then their ability to stay clean, it, it's wiped out too. The Israelites' ability to be God's separated people was hindered because of the decision they made for the, uh, for the Gibeonites. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Deuteronomy 7.2 says, When the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. But Israel uh, disobeyed this command. As a result, they sinned before the Lord. I wonder in our lives how many times we've been guilty of following Satan instead of following the Lord. I won't tell you, we've got to be careful. Because if you'll let him, the devil will let you get into shape where you can't even be blessed. Where God can't bless you. Uh, mm, we, we could go with all kinds of instances, but i got to quit. Our enemy, in the midst of all this, can be defeated. You know, uh, there's, there, there's some people that just think this world is just black and white. But I'm telling you, there's probably a little bit more complication. Uh, see, they felt like they couldn't go against what the treaty was because they gave their word to the Gibeonites. They gave their word. So they can't go against the treaty. Well, is it ever right to go against your word? <laughs> I mean, that's a little kind of a haunting question. You say, well, I gave my word. Well, let me ask you this. If you gave your word that you were going to meet the opposite sex at a hotel tomorrow at 3 o'clock, but God got all over you and you decided, man, I can't do that. You reckon it'd be all right for you to call and say, look, I know I gave you my word, but I, I can't do this. I can't do this. Or should you just say, well, 
you know, I gave my word, so I need to go on over there and I'll try to get out of it. No, if you go over there, you won't get out of it. You won't change them, they'll change you. The good thing through all of this is our enemy can be defeated. That can be defeated. Now, in defeating the enemy, you've got to confront the enemy. Nobody likes to do this. Hey, I, 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 I'm not so old that I don't remember raising children. And I don't, I'm not so old that I don't remember thinking to myself and telling my wife, just let it be. It's not worth the arguing and the headache to try to straighten it out. Have you ever done that with your kids? Just let it be. Well, now I wish I hadn't let it be. <laughs> we were talking at lunch today, and they were talking about kids, you know, and all, and, and all that. And, and one old boy said, yeah, uh, we did all that stuff too, and we got the living daylights beat out of us. We knew it was wrong. But today, kids, honestly... How can they know the difference between right and wrong? Because we can't even play a little league ball game or a basketball game without saying, well, now a team can't lose because it'll break their little hearts. So everybody's got to win. Well, when I went to school, everybody got, didn't win. That's why we fought like rip to beat them. But today, how does, a, how does a child know when he grows up? What's the difference between... You know, winning, what good does it do you to give your all if everybody's going to get the same reward? But I want to tell you, our enemy can be defeated. He's got to be confronted. That's a lesson for the church. Listen, don't you tell me we've got to roll over and play dead when the devil sends his agents in here. Yeah, there may be a stink. Yeah, there may be a fight. But I want to tell you something. Isn't what we've got worth fighting for? Amen. If it's not, then we can lay down and just play dead and do whatever. Satan cannot stand the presence of truth. He cannot do it. If you'll stand on the Word of God, Satan's going to be forced to leave you. I've used this illustration before. But it, it just works right here because the most misquoted scripture that I believe in the entire Bible is in James when it says, submit yourself to God, flee the devil, and resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. If I had a dollar bill for every time somebody came up and said, preacher, I have resisted the devil, and he doesn't flee. He's still right there. He still has given me fits. I said, you haven't done what the scripture said. I did. I resisted the devil. And the Bible says he has to flee from me. That's not what the scripture says. You submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And he'll flee. If I'm talking to, to Brother uh, Cooper here, Brother Gerald, and we're focused in on each other. He's submitted to me. I'm submitted to him. And we're just back and forth, just looking at each other. We're not paying any attention. Vernon comes up and says, hey, let me ask you all something. We don't pay him any attention. We just stay focused on each other. He said, hey, I want to ask you something. We don't pay him any attention. We just stay focused on each other. In just a minute, Vernon's going to walk off and leave. But the moment 
that Gerald takes his eyes off me to look at Vernon, we're not in contact anymore. Quit trying to fight the devil. Submit yourself to God. How you resist him is just staying focused on Jesus. And, when, and then when you're submitted to Jesus, he'll flee from you. But see, you're, you're in a one-on-one -on -one fight against the devil. He got 6,000 years experience on you. He's going to whip the daylights out of you. You don't have a chance against him. Oh, yeah, I can do, I can do that. No, you can't. That's why you got the spirit you got and attitude you got. You can't do that. It has to be God. It cannot be us. So the enemy's got to be confronted. The enemy's got to be controlled. Uh, and, and how he does it is, is he says, uh, uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I, I'm going to go and, and, uh, uh, and confront them. He confronted them with it there. And then he said, uh, we're not going to kill you because we made a pact that we wasn't going to kill you. But what you're going to do is you're going to be the people from now on that cuts all of our wood and hauls all our water. In other words, you're going to be our slaves. You're going to be that. Mm. Now, don't think uh, that I'm trying to glamorize sin. I'm not. But I want to tell you this. If you notice the Apostle Paul's life, he didn't back away from telling people, hey, I, did, I was a sinner. There's nobody a bigger sinner than me. You know, and I know that, that we... We get mixed up sometimes because somebody gets saved and they've, got, they've been on drugs, they've played football and all, and we put them up here and glorify them and all of that. And then in a year, they're back at it again. And, and, and we think, well, good grief. Well, let me tell you something, folks. It takes just as much of the blood of Jesus to save you who never drank a drop that it did to save the biggest drunk in town. The idea is not how much sin you've done. The fact is, you were a sinner. I was a sinner. The blood of Jesus saves us from sin. I read this story in Haiti. A true story about a guy who wanted to sell his house for $2,000. That's pretty good money in Haiti. Well, this guy wanted to buy his house, but he didn't have 2000 He offered him 1000 and the guy said, no, that's not enough. He said, man, I need a house. The guy was leaving Haiti at that time. He said, all right, I'll, I'll sell you the house for $1,000 with one stipulation, that he would retain ownership of one small nail that protruded over the door. He said, okay, you got a deal. Guy went off, was gone six years, came back to Haiti, said, I want to buy my house back. He said, don't want to sell it. Not going to sell it. He said, well, I, you know, I sold it to you for a good price. I'm going to give you a little bit more. He said, not going to sell it. Don't want to sell it. He said, well, you do know that I own that nail over the door. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. He went out and killed a dog, brought the, caucus of the uh, carcass of the dog, and hung it up on that nail. And after about two weeks, the house was uninhabitable. Now you say, why do you close with something like that? Because I just want to remind you, if you give the devil one little peg in your life, he will end up controlling your life. Father, thank you tonight for 
just the joy to know that in the middle of the warfare, in the middle of all this mess, first of all, you tell us that if we'll repent and confess our sin, that you'll be faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Lord, there may be some enemy here that, Lord, even tonight, they'd be willing to say, I, I need Jesus. I came to this church to be used of Satan, but I need to be saved, and I need Jesus. Lord, I pray uh, tonight that this, this, the reputation of this church would be one of these two things that we've mentioned here tonight. That we would be a church that stands on the inerrant Word of God. And we would be a church that believed in the power of God. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Have your way. And we ask you, Lord, make us a vessel that would bring others to Jesus Christ and enlarge the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much. Don't forget, uh, this weekend, going to have a great time. What a great service Sunday was, morning and night. And again, uh, this weekend is going to be great. If you're a, a, a guy that's got a little extra time, we're going to meet about 8.30 Friday morning to finish putting in cabinets and all, get ready for the state inspection and everything. Uh, someone asked me Sunday, Preacher, why are we doing all of this moving? I, I'll give you the bottom line. The bottom line is we did, I did not want to do this. I had it in my mind. There's a daycare near here that went under, and we were going to move to that location with the daycare, and we were going to operate, and just you know it just wouldn't interfere with things here to, to, to a great deal. We'd still have nursery and preschool. That daycare wanted $50,000 to rent the building from now through December 31st. So I just prayed about it, and I thought, you know, we can use $50,000 in a lot better way than paying rent on a building for the rest of the year. So that's the bottom line of why all this transitioning. But it's not going to be as bad as you think it is once we get it done. All right? Stick with us. The end is in sight. Just pray it's not another train coming. All right, God bless y'all.